I don't know if you've uh, picked it up yet, but uh, people aren't getting along real well in public circles right now. <laughs> um, and uh, it was interesting as I thought about watching, I'm not going to go into that, that whole thing, but to watch the uh, amount of animosity rise uh, in, a, uh, in a chamber that was designed to be collaborative and, and the building. And so it really does bring to bear, I think, significantly why these kinds of conversations among people of faith are important. I, um, there's an interesting side article I read in the, uh, in the New York Times when I don't sleep at night, I'm able to that same problem that I do, but um, that there was a study by the Pew Charitable Trust and they were looking at uh, conservatives and they broke them into Christian conservatives and Christian secularists, right? And, and they found, much to the surprise of the Pew Charitable Trust, that the Christian conservatives were much more moderated in how they view problems compared to the secular conservatives. That they were more willing to sit down and talk about immigration. They were more willing to have a different point of view. And it really is so interesting to read the New York Times or how they were shocked. Because in their mind, they had quite a Christian, a certain type of Christianity with a certain element of harsh, hateful kinds of people. But when they began to talk to them, they found that, interestingly enough, people of faith somehow affected how we treated other people. And no matter where you stood politically, they went and did the other side and found that Christians who identified more with the progressive liberal side tended to moderate their views more than the secularists. And so the article was trying to figure out why it was these Christians seemed less hateful and argumentative than we thought they might be. And I, I think that has a lot to say about how our faith affects us. However, I think we live in a world where it's pretty easy to escalate anymore. Fair enough? And so what are the... I know that... I have a worldview that says, as a Christian, I should be able to have these difficult conversations, and I should be able to talk to people differently than me and be different. But having that worldview and actually having a specific skill set to handle it, kind of two different things. <laughs> so that's what we're working on, specifically how we see things, how we have a skill set as Christians that allow us to live out our faith in a way that, that, is, that is building bridges rather than burning them. Fair enough? So today I want to talk about one of the basic concepts, kind of one of the really linear concepts. I didn't turn this on. Did you turn it on? I did. Good. See, Matt's so responsible. Good job. Good job, Rachel. Good job. That, that only takes for so long. By about 11 in the morning, that starts dripping away. Um, that we're going to talk about this idea of how when you have a conversation with somebody and you're just basically... A, have different points of view. They're not bad people. They just see life differently. And they may see life differently about really, really escalating kinds of stuff. How do we have a conversation when it's obvious we're not going to just agree on the topic at hand? Does that make sense? So if you open your Bibles at Matthew 18, it's one of my favorite, my wife will testify, it's one of my favorite passages. I'm kind of old school and in, in a studies of Matthew, because I think Matthew is, oh, we got, we got seats over here. You might get teacher burns in this close. But they, uh, that Matthew's kind of, I think Matthew's kind of organized around these, these several extended series of teachings, okay? And Matthew 18's one of them. 
What I love about Matthew 18 is that right before that, in 17, the way the, way the story's set up, just, uh, come on in. Could I get, let's pretend we're at the, could you kind of scoot in and get some seats together? There's a couple of them. Uh, yeah, there's one more. We got right up here, we're going to scoot over. There we go. I'm a little jealous. Well, see what happens. You were really good last week, so now I'll be really bad till next week. You have a small crowd. That's what's really happening. Okay. I appreciate you saying it that way. So if Matt, that Matthew 18 starts really an interesting way. Would somebody, does somebody have a text with them on Matthew 18? Dave, would you read just the first verse of Matthew 18 aloud? The first verse. Yep. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's it. So, for, you notice I say you're allowed one time. Doing this. So would you read the first verse for me? I said, Allowed. But anyway. <laughs> um, so, so they're, you know, this text, they're walking along. These disciples are with him. And they come and ask Jesus this question Who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, what's happened previously, if you're kind of following the narrative, what's happened previously is they've just been to the mountain. With Jesus had the transfiguration. And so now they're a little bit later in the flow of the text, they're walking along. And the, and I would love to believe the disciples were behind Jesus and they're having this discussion. Who does that be Moses? Was that Elijah? The fact that Jesus is, is Jesus bigger than Moses. If you had Abraham, there'd be like the big three of the Old Testament. I can't believe Jesus is more important. They're having this discussion. That's what I would like to believe. But if you read the story in Luke, you know what the question is? Tell them the same story. Which one of us is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So they come to Jesus with a question that's this kind of escalating deal. Who is what? And we won't go into the text, but Jesus doesn't really even go after the. He doesn't say, well, I don't know. You know, Peter was the rock. James and John, sons of thunder. But Andrew came first. He didn't have that discussion. He immediately starts talking about little kids, about sheep. About, you know, he redefines greatness and he doesn't go to their stuff. Does that making sense to you? I think that's a great illustration of what we're talking about today. We're going to simplify this because conflict is way more complicated than I'm going to draw it, but for the sake of, I call this conflict for dummies. Uh, <laughs> it's all my me. A few of And uh, so basically, you sit there and you have an issue at hand. So there's this issue people disagree on. And basically, many times, conflict just comes down to taking a different position. Fair enough? And it could be almost anything. Uh, so if you think about a time that you had a conflict with somebody and you took a different kind of position how you thought stuff out. Now, just do... And so now you sit there... And you're in, you're in conflict with somebody else. You've taken a different, different position. And now you two decide to resolve it. Tell me the typical ways that people tend to try to resolve their positional differences over an issue. What are the typical ways that we do that? Agree to disagree. Okay, one of those, just not talk about it. We call it partitioning, right? You know what? We're just not going to talk about that. I just, wherever I used to sit, I sit somewhere else in church. And we just don't do that anymore. And we move on. That's one. What's, it, what's another way people tend to try to address it? Compromise. What's that? Compromise. Okay, so try to cut a deal. How about if you give and I give? So that's one of the five general ways we do that, right? 
Now, that works in a specific environment. If you remember the first week of class, that works in a specific environment. When, does anybody remember when you don't have too much invested in it, basically? Or they're not asking you to compromise a principle. So I can compromise unless you're asking me to compromise on something I really, really believe in, right? But that's one way we do it. What's another way? Try to convince the other one why your position is better. Okay, so then we do what I call the 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 debate process or the education process. I'm going to tell you why my position is stronger than your position, and then we move that. Some of us move to the. I'm going to out data you in that thing. I'm going to show you all the reasons. Right, you've seen that before. Um, I, several years ago, I was working with. Uh, uh, city east of here with their county commission and, and city council on ridge top and hillside development and the environmentalists and the builders got into it and so the environmentalists they would talk about oh you couldn't build on any you could anything above five percent slope is bad for the environment they had a stack of stuff like that well that's like this right and then the builders like oh 50 percent slope is fine and they had all their stack up and they would just go get their experts to try to out data well you ever seen people do some version of that before mm -hmm. i'll out scripture you Right? My favorite, one, of the, one of the real quirks in Churches of Christ, you ever noticed that you don't see it anymore, but you may remember the old enough when the preacher would make a point and then quote 17 scriptures after it to prove the point? Remember those days? You know, there's a long history in that Churches of Christ. I'll tell you about it, why it goes back to Alexander Campbell. But anyway, so we're going to prove our point. If I can out-scripture you, or I can out-experience you, but, you know, all those things. But... But does that normally resolve it? So I think it's a certain number or a certain type of conflict. Yeah, you can just, you can, if it's an informational, if you're disagreeing on something, there's, and you can compromise, or you can, you know, you can talk about it and solve it at that level. But for the rest of them, it's a little difficult. You may have heard this illustration before because we use it a lot in our field. To me, a conflict is a lot like an iceberg. And how much of that floats above the I don't, really don't know. What percentage of iceberg floats above the waterline? Does anybody know? Six, 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 ten. ten, six, twenty. I don't, not a lot, right? It's the vast majority. You ask the, you know, whoever's driving the Titanic, that didn't work out because most of that stuff's <laughs> below the waterline. This. There's a certain percentage that we'll just put your numbers on it. A six to twenty percent. There's a certain number of conflicts can be resolved just like this. You know what? I think a certain way. Sally thinks a certain way. We talk about it, and we eventually kind of figure it out. And we go on. But a majority of the stuff that really, really matters, like this, it resolved this way. So we do. We work with organizations and individuals who struggle outside of teaching conflict. We work with organizations, people who, who struggle, and they will not call us when they drive the bus in the ditch. They drive the bus in the ditch, they turn the bus upside down, they set the bus on fire, then they call. And they say, uh, do y'all work with problems? You know, and, and then normally I'll say, oh, well, it depends, tell me what you do. And they will say, they'll tell what they did, and then they'll say, well, it's not do any good because we've tried We've tried everything. That doesn't bother me either, because what that means is they tried this over and over and over again. So they tried talking about it. They tried going on a retreat. 
They tried having a Bible study. They tried the prayer time. They tried all this stuff. And what we're trying to do is we can't get the other side to think like us, right? And they go on and on and on. They try it over and over and over. Then they get looped. They get stuck in looped behavior. And then the solution becomes a part of the problem and it makes a relationship worse. Does that sound familiar? You know, this is why I often, I, I try not to tell Josh this very often, preaching doesn't solve many problems. <laughs> He appreciates, he, we, have, we have a fundamental disagreement on that, okay? I get that. <laughs> but I, I mean, getting up, telling people directly how you're going to be different, I think has a great, wonderful teaching effect, direction effect, spirit effect. But it, when somebody's stuck, any number of times that the elders get together and say, we should have a Bible class on that, or we should do this, that'll solve the problem. Historically, it doesn't seem to solve the problem. Except for this class, which solves lots of problems. Now, see, I, I, I'm trying to point out with this is it's not going to do any good, but I'm glad you're here. <laughs> but, but so, I think we've got to figure out a way to deal with the stuff that's underwater. Because it's the stuff we don't see the stuff that drives people's behavior that they don't talk about is usually driving the junk. Is that making sense at all? And we're talking about all this stuff up here that's obvious, but it's not getting. And so if you're doing this and it's not getting anywhere, you know, don't get mad and say, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Understand that we got to kind of go below the waterline and figure out what the interests are or what's driving these people's behavior. For example, let's go back to these disciples. I, have you ever noticed how frustrating and befuddling the disciples are? If they'd let us subtitle the gospel, and they won't, I try, you know, but if they would, I'd, I'd want to just subtitle the gospel so the disciples didn't get it. Because how many times was there some God in front of them and they seemed hung up on completely useless discussions? Does that sound familiar? So here, they, there had just been this moment on this mountaintop where they, they came before the very deity of God. It should have been this life-changing thing. And somewhere down the road, if you believe Matthew, not very far down in the distant future, they're walking down the road. And these same people are arguing among themselves who's going to be prime minister when Jesus sets up the kingdom of God. And which one of us is most important to his work. What? So what do you think is going on? What's driving this? Okay. Well, I, I would agree with that. Let's be a little bit the one. Oh, okay. Now, now go a little further. Being human means a lot. So, what what you're saying? Let's go a little further with that. I Being want to human. be the best. I want to be the most important. I want to be the. Okay. So there's ego. Ego. Right. Of course. Yeah. There's ego driving it. What else could be driving it? Power. Okay. Who said that? Okay. What do you mean? Well, um, there's this. Especially we can look at current times, there's this drive to be at the top. Mm -hmm. um, whatever's driving it, part of it could be ego, but... Um, A desire for power, power right. control, right. right? What else? Anything else? There's some greed. Maybe greed, need for significance, right? Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, anybody else? 
comparisons. They're probably comparing themselves to others. Oh, we've been hanging around Jesus. Uh, well, clearly I know more. Or well, I've been in this game a lot longer. So I had this really cool deal. I was one of the ones who got to go on the mountaintop. <laughs> that discussion, I could see that one coming up. You know, yeah, I was hanging on the didn't take you, Andrew, but me and your brother, you know, I guess I'm more important than you. Maybe that's driving it. And, and some, maybe underlying all those factors might be might be some sort of fear. Okay, what do you mean? Good. You know, fear of losing something, fear of being um, abandoned, fear of a lot of different kinds of things fuel a right. lot of the need for power, need for success, need to be on top. Yeah, and you could go back, maybe the ones who weren't invited. Yeah. Or down at the bottom going, hey, what's going on? Why is it? Are we? What's happened with this kingdom? And it's about this time that Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem and starts doing things that concern them. And they may be having discussions about, does this even make sense? Where do we fit? How does it matter? Oh, does any of this the kind of stuff they would walk up to Jesus and ask him? So Jesus, you know, we just need to know, you know just assage my ego. Look, I want power. Put me in it. I'm afraid, right? People don't talk about the stuff that drives them. And yet the stuff that drives them is, is really where, where I think most of our conflicts arise, right? But if they're unwilling to kind of lead with that, people are great at smoke screens. You ever notice they'll bring up one thing when they really want to talk about something else? Right? And, and I... I Got a, a MDiv. I had to take some counseling classes. I realized I'm the world's worst counselor. I'm of the you did what counseling mentality. <laughs> I really am. I'm like, but but one thing I, did, I really, I mean, I just don't have it. People have been, well, I've got all these problems. Me too. You want to hear mine? And I was not. But but the uh, I did notice they would come in and talk about all these problems. And they just kind of them out. And as they left, they right at the end, they dropped a big bomb. You ever notice that one before? And so my wife is, oh, by the way, we're getting a divorce. And they walk out, and you're like, what just happened, right? I think that some, we lead with stuff, but there's other stuff there. They're not going to come up with that. So you've got these difficult discussions. How do you get there? So if you want to figure out what's really driving people's positions, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven, who, who's right about this thing in church, who should be Supreme Court judge? Whatever you want to pick. And people are up here doing all this stuff, right? And drawing all these conclusions. And by the way, we figure out pretty early in this that that's not the whole thing, but they're not giving us information. Then we suffer from something called fundamental attribution error, which means we backfill information of what we believe about people if they don't give it. So we hate informational vacuums. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's backfill. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly, and I'm going to, Suddenly, uh, Dr. Ford is a certain kind of person, or Dr. Or, or Judge Kavanaugh is a certain kind of, well, I know that, you know, all those things. And you don't have all the information, so you backfill. We do the church all the time, don't we? And I, I, I hear friends like, I know why they did that. Well, unless they have a glass head, you don't know. <laughs> we do all that. So, so we sit here, we argue positions. We backfill this information and make assumptions about people, and we end up really unproductive stuff. Have you ever been that, down that road before? Yes. How do we change it? How do we figure out how to get off this and, and help them move forward? Yes? Well, one way is if you continue to stay in that position going back and forth and back and forth. Mm -hmm. And 
you backfill and you backfill and everybody backfills, you can actually just say, forget it, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to walk away from that. Right. I can't, I can't right. handle that. So one thing you can do, and I see this, I'll tell people this all the time. Sometimes if it just gets so unproductive and it's not there, you know, the, the, the healthiest thing you can do is just walk away, right? Now remember that first weekend, the best time to walk away is when neither the conversation nor the per, how the person feels about you matters all that much. And uh, there's a large number of people fall in that category for me. So I, you know, I just don't engage them, right? But, but let's say that you actually do need to engage them. What, could we, what can we do to get from position to, that's where it is interest, I can't read it, position to interest. How do we get to the point that we understand what's driving people? This is not rocket science, so almost anything you posit is probably pretty close. What's that? You asked them. Wow, isn't that great? <laughs> you asked them. Now. You listen. And you listen. You ask them and you listen. Now you think, well, that's really simple. How often do we not do this? Now, I want to kind of hone down on the asking. I think there's good ways to ask them and bad ways to ask them. Somebody tell me give an example of a bad way to try to get from here to here. Over Facebook. Okay, yeah, so distance, <laughs> publicly, on Facebook, social media. Why did Kenna do that, you know? Uh, what motivated Kenna's stupid move? You know, that, that's probably not a way to move, right? But it's not the way that we, it's interesting. We're so conflict avoidant that we've now made conflict the most public thing we could possibly do. I find that fascinating, right? So what's another way? Uh, why questions, which create defensiveness. Oh, yeah. So why questions are the worst questions. Now, that's really, I've always found that a conundrum because that's exactly what I wanted to know. Right? You know, why'd you do that is really what I want to know. But when you ask people why, you, you tend, well, what happens when you, you mentioned today, what happens when you ask why? Yeah. So how many people have kids? <laughs> you ever ask them why they did something? <laughs> what did they say to you? <laughs> so I had three adolescent males at one time, and you'd ask them why they did something, and they could tell you without moving mouth. They'd go, Right, you got that one? Move the shoulder. Here's the deal. They're adolescent males. They didn't know why. I get that. I mean, you know, the whole brain development stuff. They probably didn't know why they did something. But for any of us asking why you did something can have the effect of defensiveness. Because it sounds like you're saying what to them. What's that? How could you do that? Yeah. I, I you're, you are obviously dumber than me because I can't understand the logic of why you did Now, that is not most of our intents. But if you look at somebody and say, well, why would you do that? The, the, the defensive level, the defensiveness level jumps. Right? Making sense? So if, if closed-in questions, leading questions, all those kinds of things are bad questions. So how do you find out why if you can't ask them why. <laughs> like what questions? What do you mean? Does a what question? Uh, like Practice. Uh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Somebody help her out. So you're asking informational, so you're saying give me some information questions, and you do it in such a way that tell me about what does that do? How's that different? What's that how's that different from a why question? Open and it's not, you're not defensive. It sounds like someone's interested in what you think and what you feel. 
instead of feeling like you have to defend what you think is that they already think is wrong or stupid. So they all and listen. If you guys have done this for a while, you're you're it's an uphill battle to ask questions because you've now set a stone that whatever you ask, you be very very careful because it sounds like you're now leading, prejudging, doing those things. All these different. There's lots of ways you can do it. You can say, "Tell me about this." Could you let me know what happened there? That's kind of the what questions. Or, you know, help me understand. Now, you got to be careful with that, because that has everything to do with tone with that one. Mm -hmm. If you do the, I can't do the next thing, the help me understand. So, the, the help me understand thing, it, well, it's all about tone. You can ask yeah. all these questions with the wrong tone, because what percentage We'll talk about this in a second, but what percentage of communication or words? There's some numbers out there floating around, somewhere between six and ten percent at most, right? The rest has to do tone, body language, and all kinds of stuff. And so you've got to have the right tone no matter what. But I say, see, if you're in conflict with somebody, especially the more conflicted you are, the more you need to have this attitude, which is, I want to be a learner. I want to learn what it's like to see life like you. And genuinely believe that. Because just because I disagree with them doesn't make them wrong. It certainly doesn't make them stupid. All it means is we see something different. Is that making sense? And so your question, it could be something along the lines of, teach me what it's like to be you. Could you tell me more about that? Help me understand this decision. Help me, you know, and you put yourself in the student and make them the teacher. I want to know what some version this is. I want to know your thinking processes, how you got there, and what you were thinking. And they're going to be defensive at first, but I promise you, people love to be teachers. And if you allow them to take that role of a, kind of, they feel like they're taking authority over you to tell, to tell you what they believe, you're going to learn all kind of stuff. Make sense? Now, we don't do it. What's the challenge of doing that? a lot of humility. Yeah, especially when you know you're right. <laughs> you know, so you're sitting there and you know you're right, and they're coming in, and you're, they're wasting your time, and then they haven't been very nice about it, and they called you names and things like that. It's really difficult then to, to, to talk to them. I had this experience some years ago, so I was dean of Bible, a little school called Lubbock Christian University, out in that town of Lubbock, Texas. It is geographically, according to National Geographic, the flattest place on earth, <laughs> and uh, and with no trees out there. But I, when I was dean of Bible out there, I would get these letters. That's pre-email because they're usually ten or fifteen years behind the rest of us. And these very very conservative schools of preaching, Amen. who would write me really mean stuff about what what I was doing. One of them listed me as one of the most dangerous men in the church. I didn't, I didn't know this person. I was like. <laughs> The good, great thing was Ashley was number one, so I'd call Rick. At least I'm not as bad as you, you know. <laughs> but, but so, you know, I get this stuff, and I, I built all these preconceptions. And then I was in Memphis not long ago, I think, and this older guy introduces himself, and I realize he's one of those dudes that wrote me those letters. Right? And, and so I start talking to him. He didn't realize who I am. <coughs> Because I'm sure I was one of a long number of people that he was sending to hell, you know. And so it was really hard for me not to just really, so I, I really, I was like, well, I tried. So I said, tell me about your world, what you do. And we just talk and talk. And I realized 
he's kind of a lovely guy that just has a really different view of the world than me. Is that making sense? And and rather than do position on that, I don't. I, I can't figure out what drives it, but I think it was fear after talking to him. Fear of change and fear of stuff, right? So the idea of interests will drive us. And, and once you figure this out, you're, we know for sure your chances of getting them to lessen this if you can meet their concern or interest head on, engage it, acknowledge it, perhaps find ways to address it. Right, is that, is that making sense? Yeah. And this, this might sound counterproductive to the, to the attitude behind it, but also I find that sometimes when people voice their reasoning out loud, mm -hmm. they hear it for the first time. And it sounds different than what it sounds like in their head. So when we go back, you remember we talked about axelrods that we've been here who've been strong enough and brave enough to sit through this class a couple times. I was explaining to Matt, he's why you got a big number, Dad. So what happens is you teach one week, people come the next week, I teach. The next week you teach, they don't show up because they think I'm teaching. We have this problem. Goes, oh, no, <laughs> anyway, but then we talked about uh, axelrod, and one of the things we said, we hand people back, we explain back to them what they heard. And for some of them, it's like for the first time they've heard the reasoning and they start to kind of de-escalate, right? But they're not going to hear it if I'm still up here. Even if, so even when I figure it out, what am I going to do? I'm going to drop down here and talk about my interest with them and kind of start comparing interests and finding ways to meet those, and we'll find that this tends to back off. Is that making sense? Pretty basic thing. There's some problems with this system. What do you think they are? What are the challenges to doing this? There's significant challenges doing this. Time. It's incredibly time-consuming. We don't want to do that. In fact, there's some stuff out there that says you may have to ask this question seven times before somebody's honest enough to tell you about it, right? You have to sit down. I'm going to pick on Ken. Ken works in patient relations, right? How often do you have these conversations? Multiple times a week, right? You know, and hours. <laughs> it's not, you know, instantaneous. And if someone's talking about their bill, you know, it may look on the surface, oh, it's just about fifty dollars. But the more and more you talk about it, it's about the provider that didn't speak to them. Right. Or it's about their kid who's really sick that the front desk clerk said nothing about. You know, but it, it doesn't take thirty minutes to get there. No, it takes it takes. So you sit up here. They're complaining about the bill. They're yeah. complaining about some service they were providing. Yeah, and what you know coming in is. is it's not about that seventy-five dollar mm -mm. bill. It's about how they felt like they were treated. It's about family stress they carry into the room. You think about church. They they complain about something at church, right? I didn't like this. Boy, when I was in ministry, drive me crazy. People come up and be like, "Well, you know what? It's too cold." I'm the day. Well, the hell's gonna be hot, you know? But uh, anyway, but, you know, I got so tired. Of my life is so I get so tired of that, but the, it wasn't it. It was about other stuff. It was about, okay, no, this one's irrelevant, but it's funny. I taught, I taught, a, so I was in charge of adult education at one point. We had an auditorium that is at Hillcrest and Abilene, this massive auditorium, right? And we had a Wednesday night Bible class. I hope you got more in it. And, uh, but, but there were like 30 people in it with a teacher, and they sat in the same seats they sat on Sunday mornings, like spread around the same auditorium. And I'm sitting there going, that's dumb. And so I just got them a nice room, fix it up, you know, because I see a problem. We're going to fix it. My position is that's a bad environment. I go to the teacher, no, no, we like it here. Different environment. I'm like, well, I'm in charge of this. There's how smart I am. I want to help you guys out. I found them a a nice hot room, you know, did all that, and announced 
that they're going to shut this thing out in two weeks. For two or three weeks, I kept announcing we're going to shut it down, we're going to shut it down. Nobody ever said a word. They just looked at me, and I thought, see, you're happy. You're not talking to me. It's okay. The, the Wednesday night, and so that auditorium has no outdoor lot windows. So when you shut it off, it's like in space. It is that dark. But as I walked through, I cut through there going from the nursery to the teach my class. As I walked through there, I sent bodies in the room. And there were people who sat in that dock auditorium. They're so mad at me. And I was thinking, oh, they have Alzheimer's. <laughs> no, we're not having class, right? No, no, no. There was other stuff going on that I did not. You see what I'm saying? I didn't address. I should have spent time with them figuring out what we needed to do for them. So tell. So my last. So we work with churches. Some some years ago, a church, a conservative church, not a church of Christ, but a conservative fundamentalist church in Alabama was fighting. I know it's hard to believe fundamentalists in Alabama fight. I'm going to pretend for a minute they were. Think about Auburn, Alabama. Yeah, we're right beside Yeah, they're right beside the school said roll tie. And uh, and so so I did preach there one Sunday and I said good morning and they they said roll tie back. I was like, this is holy. But anyway, I, cool. I love it. So sorta. Of. And so uh, so we went down and they were fighting over worship, if you can believe it. You know. And about half the church was over 55-ish, and a lot of them were college students. Of course, the over 55 crowd wanted what? For worship. What did they want? Tradition. They wanted to hit Jimmy Swagger and I'll fly away on the piano, right? They wanted traditional music. The younger crowd wanted Lollapalooza's for Jesus, you know? God! And, you know, they were really struggling, and they were losing members and all this. And when I talked to the ones who want traditional music, their position was what? It was good. It's historically been good enough for this church. They had other things, right? You ever heard of these scripture decently in order? That one was used. Uh, you know, these songs are deep. They're meaningful. We don't want those 7 11 songs, you know, seven words 11 times. So, you know, we don't want those songs, right? Because this is it. All right? The more I talk to them, what else do they start saying to me? I've been here for a long time. I, my grandparents went here, and and we're we're given eighty percent of the they argued that see contribution would actually go up in the summer school, but they argued students were probably stealing money out of play. I didn't think that's probably actually <laughs> but they were arguing but their interest was this. Nobody, you know, we've been here a long time, we're the heart of the church and nobody's listening to us on this thing. They're just going after all these younger people. They don't listen to us anymore. Okay. Get that? Position of the younger people. About music. Boring. Okay? It's, what we're doing is driving people away. We can't invite our friends. Our friends are all going down to the church on the hill on the rock down here and they're doing whatever and they're not coming here. We want to be evangelistic. We want this, right? That's a, when they started talking to me, you know what they were saying? Well, just because we're younger, they don't listen to us. Now, their interests were the same. Their interests were nobody's talking to us and nobody's, accurate or not, that's what they believed. And so as we worked with them, what do you think we worked on? We didn't work on the music. We worked on getting these people to talk to each other in ways that were non-threatening. And they started doing Habitat Humanity. They built, a, they did a garden, a community garden, because it's kind of an inner city area. They did all these things, shook up the leadership teams, put some younger people on them, primarily so they wanted to talk to one another. Interestingly enough, I kind of backed out, and there's people down there started running it. 
Interestingly enough, several years later, they, they quit fighting over music. Their solution was kind of ridiculous. They would rotate music that do Jimmy Swaggart, I'll fly away, or oh, was Jesus. But it, I don't know how it worked, but it worked for them, and I was fine with that. The point of all that was, they could have split that church right down the middle over that. But they chose to go down and find interest, right? So here's the deal. The disciples come up, I want to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes, let me tell you a story. That's one of the great ways, by the way, to build interest. And it's about, you know, it's about children being cast aside. It's about sheep going looking for them. And it's about servants who are merciful. And it's about, right? And he begins to say, the real interest, what's your real interest here? Because we want to work on you. I, I don't, if you get your interest right down here, I'm not going to have to worry about the discussion about who's in charge. Fair enough? So here we are sitting in the world, and this is what's going on. We're taking deep, complicated stuff, and we're fighting on television about it. We're taking deep, complicated stuff, and we're blowing each other up on social media about it. And to the point that if I disagree with somebody, I'm afraid to say anything because it's going to escalate so fast. And maybe as people of peace, we know we're supposed to be, maybe where we need to be is trying to figure out why and what and how and meet those needs and quit worrying about whether we're right or not. But being right is kind of irrelevant if you just fight all the time. Does that sound fair enough? All right, let's close the prayer. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Uh, thank you for loving us when we're wrong so much of the time. Help us to look at problems and focus on the interest, the heart, what's driving people, and less on the result that we want to get out of it. Your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks a lot. I really admire your expertise.